Let's open to Titus chapter one, Titus chapter one. Now, you, you know um, that last week we finished first Timothy. And so naturally we'd want to go to second Timothy, but as many of you know, first and second uh, Timothy, um, there's, there's a gap of time between first and second Timothy and most likely uh, the book of Titus and first Timothy were written really close together. Second Timothy is kind of a special book in that it was written at the end of Paul's life. There is one of the last letters that we know that he wrote. And so, um, we're going to actually come back to second uh, Timothy right after we get done with Titus here. Um, so chronologically first Timothy, then the book of Titus were written around the same time, right around 62 to 63 AD, right after the release of Paul's uh, first imprisonment in Rome. And uh, during what is called Paul's fourth minis- uh, missionary journey. And then second Timothy would have been written just about a year later when he got recaptured and, and he would not leave. And he's writing his prison epistles and some other things uh, during that time. And it's, uh, it's pretty deep. And so we'll, we'll hold off on second Timothy until after Titus, Titus and Timothy have a lot of the similar things to say, but uh, with that uh, Titus chapter one this morning, we're only going to get to the first four verses. Uh, Don't worry. Uh, So we, because Timothy, um, covers a lot of the same ground that Titus is. I'm not going to go into as much depth, uh, like you'll, you'll see. Anyways, I'll explain it better later. Uh, but as we begin in the book of book of Titus, it's really helpful to, to understand just the overall general flow of the book. There's only three chapters, but, uh, if you're looking at chapter one, it's going to have to do with godly leadership. Chapter two is a godly church. And chapter three is a godly witness among unbelievers. That's just a very simplified overview, but chapter one dealing with leadership, chapter two, dealing with the church and, and how we're to be godly in chapter three, just our witness among unbelievers. And that's really, if you think about it, that's a pretty good idea. Cause if you have godly leadership, if you have godly leadership, you usually have a well-taught church, right? Uh, well-modeled church. And then the church actually is a great witness in the world. And so that was Paul's kind of thinking here. And so, uh, although it's a very simplistic overview. I think it helps us get a cursory overview of the letter. Now, as far as when Titus was written, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, it was written around the same time as first Timothy by Paul, somewhere between 62 and 64 AD while Paul ministered in the Macedonian churches between his first and second Roman imprisonment. And he's most likely either writing from the city of Corinth, for those of you who want to know this stuff or uh, Nicopolis. And you can read this. Usually if you have a good study Bible, a lot of the stuff will be in the front of it. Um, but, uh, obviously this was written by the apostle Paul. He says in the very beginning of the, of the verse, and that's why we're going to spend some time in the first couple of verses here. But obviously this was written by the apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus. Um, we'll have more to say about Titus next week. And we'll talk about Crete and what kind of place that was and the whole culture behind it. And so more historical background as we go. Sometimes, you know, when you start teaching a book, you can explain all the historical background in the beginning and then just go in, but we're just going to kind of do it as we go. So let's just start uh, with the first four verses. I'm going to read it and then we'll go through and explain it. And you're going to understand why, as I read this, why I need to slow down in the very beginning before we speed up. It says there, Verses one through four, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, 
which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. You know, let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we enter into this precious book, this letter that was written 2000 years ago, that was applicable to that church, Lord, and, and is it, is just as applicable today. So open our hearts, Lord. Cause us not to be hard hearted towards you. Give us spiritual ears to hear what you would say. Pray that for me, Lord. I often can read stuff and gloss over stuff and dismiss it, Lord. And, and I just ask for forgiveness. And so make my heart soft. Teach me, Lord. Help me become more like Christ. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here and those who are listening, wherever they may be. So we pray this all in your name, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Boy, that was a run on sentence, wasn't it? In that first paragraph, I mean, <laughs> yeah, anybody who's had kind of like an, I remember like reading the Bible and, uh, I, I, you know, uh, one of the things about Paul is he just doesn't stop his flow of thought. He just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And you're going, it's hard to understand what you're saying, but, and, and that's, but as you kind of go back and you look at it, you go, man, he is masterful. And ex he knows exactly what he's saying. The guy is brilliant. And God has gifted him for this very purpose that those who want to dig deep, you are going to mine gold. And if you want to pick the low hanging fruit, you're going to be blessed as well. And so, um, Man, just look at verse one. He starts out and says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, as we spoke about when we started first Timothy um, in the ancient world, the format of writing was usually it was written on scrolls and things like that. And so you kind of put who wrote it at the very beginning, not at the end, like we do. So you wouldn't have to go down to the end and say, oh, it was Paul. And then go back up and figure out what's going on. You know, sometimes Paul's letters can be pretty long, right? And so he just, he puts everything at the beginning there. So he calls, he says, first of all, he says, hey, it's Paul. And Paul identifies himself here with two titles, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about Paul, his resume is absolutely astounding. I mean, he could have put anything on that, on the heading of this letter. He could have thrown down all his initials, his PhD, you know, all the things he's done. Oh yeah. I was shipwrecked 500 times and, you know, almost, you know, I've stoned four, three, you know, three times I almost died. And, you know, I just, I've, I've kind of seen God just all this kind of stuff. Jesus appeared to me. You could have put everything in the beginning, but he starts with the very first, the very simple phrase. He says, listen, I'm Paul. I'm a servant of God. And how many of you know that word servant? How many of you have bond servant in your translation? Yeah. Some of you have bond servant. If you don't, you go down to the little footnotes and I'll tell you what a bond servant is usually. And the idea of a bond servant is kind of like uh, the idea of an indentured servant is, is the idea is that you'd work for a certain amount of time for someone as a slave because you owed something to them. But the idea of a bond servant is that after that amount of time that you were a slave, you sat there and you get, man, my master's so good. He's so awesome. I'm going to give the rest of my life to him. And that's what that word bond servant is that you willingly give up your life for your master. And this is Paul. This is what he wants everybody to know right off the bat. I'm a servant. I'm a bond servant 
of God. My life is totally given over to him. My, my heart and my life is poured out for God. And that's the first thing he identifies himself. And it's interesting, this word servant doulos in the, the Greek is translated bond servant, but he also calls himself, you know, within that, he says a servant of God. Now I've read ahead just to let you know uh, <laughs> how many of you've read ahead a little bit. And, and you're going to see that he's going to kind of like he did in first Timothy, he's dealing with some false teachers and some, and the main false teachers he's dealing with in Crete, which is where he's speaking to some Jews who are perverting uh, the Jew- Jewish law and they're doing some weird mysticism and all this kind of stuff. And so some of the people think you know, some of the uh, uh, scholars who read this think that it could be that Paul says he's a servant of God um, first because uh, basically uh, that would trigger within the mind of a Jew. Oh, a servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. And you're thinking about old Testament, the servant of the Lord were the prophets and they were the ones who were authorized on God's behalf to speak for him, to speak correction and rebuke and exhort and all that stuff. So that, that quite possibly could have been something here. And it's also interesting that in this verse, it's the only time Paul calls himself a servant of God. The rest of the time it's a servant of Christ. I'm a bond servant of Christ. And so it could be that there's a little bit of correction built in here. And I just wanted to bring that little gem up to you because there's a little bit of, of that correction that he has to do here. So the servant of the Lord is the very first thing he, he gives himself as a title. And the idea of a servant again is the lowest of the low rank. What is the, what did the Lord say about uh, the greatest in the kingdom is the, what of all is the servant of all. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And here Paul says, listen, I want to be what God has called me to be. First of all, a servant, the way up in the kingdom is what it's down. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Did he just bust in with all his glory? The first time he came, what happened? He humbled himself born in a manger. We just kind of focused on that, right? The lowest of the low. And yet he was raised above all. And so we see that he calls himself a bond servant here. And so Paul, a servant of God. Secondly, Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The title of apostle was obviously one of authority, right? And Paul often in his letters identifies himself as an apostle when he has to do some correction within the church. How many of you, you know, you, you like to be called by your first name, but when you've got to get down to business, you've got to write a letter and maybe correct an employee or whatever it might be you kind of throw the title behind it. Hey, <laughs> I've got to tell you like, this is this, I'm, I'm, I'm talking seriousness dear to you. You gotta, you gotta listen to me. And so he had to do some correcting and rebuking of these false teachers. Or in the case of Titus, actually here, he's, he's authorizing Titus to go set up godly leaders in the church. And so this really wasn't for Titus to go, Oh yeah, it's the apostle Paul writing to me. Titus knows everything that's going on in this letter. He's, I mean, mostly he's, he's being written and Titus is going to share this. And though the church that's going to read this and the false teachers are reading it are seeing, oh, the apostle Paul is addressing the church and he's giving Titus authority to go ahead and, and take care of business here. So that's part of it. But the word apostle, as many of you know, it means one who's sent. It's an ambassador. That's the idea. It means sent one, you know, quite often we, um, you know, we take the word like pastor and we, we go, oh, he's pastor. That's a title. 
Actually, it's, it's, it's not in its truest form. It's a title. It means shepherd. What do shepherds do? They shepherd sheep. They feed the sheep, they protect the sheep. They uh, go rally the sheep. They take care of wolves, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so the idea of an overseer isn't a, necessarily a position. It's an action that happens within the body of Christ. There's to be a love associated with what happens. The same with pos- the apostle Paul. He was sent by Jesus Christ. There was an action. He was an ambassador. And Paul says there that uh, here that he was not only a servant of God, but he was sent by the son of God, by Jesus Christ. And so no matter how you slice it, Paul was a servant and an apostle, the father and the son empowered by God. Uh, And, and by the way, it seems that this wasn't for, again, this wasn't for Titus's information. He already knew it. It's most likely for everybody else in the church that was reading this. So Real quickly, in this first part of first verse one, Paul identifies himself as a servant and as an apostle of God. How do you identify yourself? It's really interesting. Would you put servant at the top of your list? Well, that's a, that's a convicting thing, isn't it? So Paul right off the bat says, I'm a servant, but I'm also an apostle. Now here's the cool thing is it's, it's packed in his run on sentence here. He says, now, why was Paul a servant? Why was Paul an apostle? Why was he a slave to God? Why was he sent by Jesus? Keep reading verse one for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Think about that. Paul was put in the position he was in, first of all, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, the elect being another term for believers, those chosen before the foundation of the earth, as we'll read over and over here in first Timothy and other places. But the, he, he was put in the position he was, he was a servant and he was an apostle for the faith of God's elect for believers. And he was first of all given for the sake of the faith of the elect. And what does this mean? The faith of the elect what is it, What does it mean that he was given for the faith in Romans 10, 14 through 17? If you're taking notes, Paul says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're, they're sent? Uh, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, uh, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And so faith comes by what hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the word of God. Paul was a servant and he was apostle and he was sent for the, f- for the faith of the elect so that we would hear the gospel so that we would know the mysteries of God so that we would come to faith, that we would believe that they would believe they would know the Lord. The point being Paul was the one who was sent one of many that they might believe and be saved. And this is what Paul is zeroing in on. And in, in these first few verses, how he plugs in with God's ultimate plan of salvation. Paul was sent for the faith of the elect saving faith that the lost would hear the good news 
of Jesus Christ, the son of God, his death and his resurrection and his promise of eternal life to all who would repent and believe. Paul was a servant of God for the sake of the faith of the elect for believers. And that ties into the second reason why he was sent, why he was an apostle for their knowledge of the truth. It's the same type of thing. First Timothy two, three through four. If we read back there, it says, this is good. And it is pleasing the sight of God, our savior who desires all people to be saved and come to what? The knowledge of the truth. People just don't come to the knowledge of the truth. They don't just magically find God. God leads them to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he does. That's the work he's in. The Holy spirit is given to convict people of sin and of righteousness and the judgment of come. And he does it through the proclamation of his word and through revelation as we'll, as we'll see here. But this was Paul's role as a servant of God, as one who's sent by Jesus. Paul was called to bring sinners to the knowledge of the truth, a saving truth concerning Jesus. We all like sheep have gone astray. The, the, the scriptures say we don't care about God. We don't want to do have anything to do with the light by our own nature. We might try to fool ourselves, but we are cockroaches. <laughs> I'm captain cockroach. Okay. So I just want you to know I'm not hurling at anybody else by nature. We love our darkness. We love our sin. We love those things. If God, the light had not come to us and brought us to the truth, the knowledge of the truth, man, we just keep scurrying away. Amen. Amen. Yes. And the idea of the knowledge of the truth here, it means to bring clarity concerning the truth to bring the truth into focus, to dis to distinguish the truth from the lie, to lift the veil, the fog of war. So you actually see God clearly. And we all who have believed have experienced this. We weren't around when the apostle Paul was around, but you heard the gospel from someone. Amen. Sunday school teacher, someone on TV, a radio program, um, a relative praying to you, a series of people in a row who started painting a picture of Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit was leading you to the knowledge of the truth. There were gifted people, empowered people within the body of Christ who have done that. And, and you might not be a pastor. Praise God. You are on the front lights sharing the gospel through your life and through your words and through your actions. And then God uses the church to proclaim the gospel to people. Yes. There's people like me with mouths in front of people, but most of the work of the ministry happens through you. Do you know that it's the scriptures are awesome. They give pastors and apostles and evangelists to stand up and, and everybody can focus on them. Is that the verse? No, they were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's why the emphasis here this morning is not on evangelism as much as it is on equipping and training you in righteousness and encouraging you so that you go out and do the work of the ministry. And this is how we all come to faith. Is it someone who is serving God? Although not an apostle, they spoke truth concerning Jesus Christ into your life. Amen. They explained sin. They explained judgment. They explained 
uh, salvation through Christ. They explained the significance of his death and resurrection and all these things. And the gospel came into view. You came to the knowledge of the truth. Although it might've been very cursory and very elementary, you started to realize, wow, God is holy. I'm a sinner. I'm in rebellion against him. And he sent his son to die for me. I need him. And that you might have, that's all you had is I'm a sinner and he's a savior. Oh God, help save me. Amen. And you run to him and you cry out and you go, I can't fix this mess. And you realize he's your only answer. And he graciously does what he does. He is the savior. He ran to you. It was his idea. He came into our darkness to save us, not to keep us at arm's length, but to draw us close through his son. He sent his only son to die. You see the knowledge of the truth. It, it, it comes into view here. And Paul was sent for the sake of the elect, those who would believe upon Jesus. So those who would believe for their faith and for their knowledge of the truth. How awesome. What a gift he was to the, to the body of Christ. Amen. Paul was sent for the sake of the elect. And as we read about this, this Paul this morning, we're 2000 years removed from Paul, aren't we? 2000 years removed from Paul. And this is pretty profound. Paul was made a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the elect. That's you. (laughs) You're still reaping the benefits of his ministry. That's me. Aren't we? What a gift. It transcends time. And this is what the Lord had in plan for Paul. Paul had no idea about the reach that he would have. He had no idea. All he was is a servant and an apostle. And he was just faithful to the call, but God had a plan for him. Each of us have been impacted by his ministry. And we use the gospel that was given to him to preach the gospel to others. You know, we're not coming up with anything new. Amen. I hope not. (laughs) We're not in the business of creating something new. That's called heresy. We just want to deliver what God already has given us and let the word do its work. Amen. But each of us have been impacted. And and there was one thing that Paul wanted to make clear right off the bat about the faith of the elect that he was called for their sake. And also the knowledge of the truth that he was bringing people to. He said, this is what it all is going to be in harmony with. Keep reading the end of verse one says, this is all it accords with godliness. It accords with godliness, the faith and the knowledge of the faith that Paul preached. It accords with godliness or godlikeness, not godlikeness in that we become gods. We take on his character, his heart, his values. Christlikeness is a better term. I think we become more like Jesus, you know, this is important to think about the faith that we're brought to. Our faith isn't a faith that frees us to sin. It frees us from sin. It's really important. That's a great distinction. Again, Paul is setting up a defense here. He's going to be talking about because there are false teachers who are teaching stuff resulting in attitudes and behaviors and actions that were contrary to godliness. And this is rampant in the church. And it's so tempting 
I've talked about it before, but to tell you what you want to hear and not what God says. Of course, go after money. God wants you to be blessed. Make your life about the pursuit of riches. And by the way, to ease your conscience, give some others to other people, give some money to other people. Right? How about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll take care of the rest. And if he happens to put you in a position of slavery, don't try to push your way out of it. Use it as an opportunity to witness. If he's made you rich in this world, realize that he's given you an opportunity. Use it as a witness. Amen. Amen. You know, so there's these, there's this natural pull. And he says, listen, what we teach, it accords to godliness there. Again, there's false teachers in Paul's day. And in our days teaching that God's love and grace are, are actually a means of, you know, God is loving and he's gracious. And somehow they teach that that equates continue sinning that God accepts you as you are. That's a misteaching of God's love and his grace. Yes, he loves us where we are, but he saves us to bring us out of it. Amen. To make us more like him, not creating God to, you know, world's world's family fail me. We're not the center of the world or the universe. God doesn't revolve around us. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You know, uh, we're to become like him. and, And anyways, let me stick to my points here. Yeah, that's fun to fail in public. It's great. (laughs) Try it. But (laughs) Paul is making it clear. No, those who have come to true faith, who have come to the knowledge of the truth. If you have come to Christ and you claim you're a Christian, um, you're going to become more godly as a result. You're going to become more like Christ. You're going to become less like the old man that you were and your pursuits are going to change. Your desires are going to change. Your, your view of the world is going to change. Your view of politics is going to change your view of how you interact with people and your means of the, the, all the possessions you have and your job and all this stuff. It's all going to change. It's just going to change. You're going to become a brand new person and you're going to realize more and more. Lord, I want to become like you. That's the most important thing. Can I become like you more and more every day? Can I just allow the Holy spirit to do his work in my heart? And really Jesus said, he said that a good tree will bear good fruit. Amen. This is one of the evidences of true conversion that we change. And how many of us know there's an instant change that happens when you come to Christ, but also there's a long-term change that happens, that God is changing us into the image of Christ. So my thinking and my actions, my attitudes becoming more like Christ, Christ likeness as we grow in him. This is the spirit's work in a believer to change us. The Christianese word is sanctification. If you want to write that down and give yourself extra credit, but to, and that word means to set us apart from the life ruled by the flesh and sin. That's what the spirit desires to do when we come to Christ because his life is in us. We're set apart from the world. We're changed. We're pulled out of that and we're pulled towards Christ. So the spirit teaches us to put off the old man 
and to put on the new man, to put on Christ. He teaches us to put away the old things and to put on the new things. And we have harmony in our character and our actions and our will. It's all harmonized with the Lord and his teachings. And the word is being infused into us. And it's like a mirror into our soul. And as we look at it, God gives us insight into it. We haven't seen before. It comes alive. It shines a light on our hearts. And we look at it and we go, wow. Okay. There's a gap of who I am and who I should, I should be. I see it there, Lord. Now I'm just going to obey you by faith and you'll make that come about. It's pretty cool. And God does that. He changes us. So the Holy spirit is the proof that we're saved. He's the seal of our salvation. He makes us holy like Christ, the Holy spirit. What do you know in our faith? And our knowledge of the truth is according to godliness. Now, I think it's important to clarify that godliness is a result of salvation. Okay. Godliness is a result of salvation. There's a big difference between all the other religions of the world. And they're all false, by the way, they can all have good people and nice things and all this stuff, but they're all false religions because they deviate from the true religion, I would say. And I know this is gets into hairy territory for everybody, but the world has a works salvation and even Christianity has a works salvation has an, has a, has a flavor that way. I'm not saying I'm saying false Christianity has a flavor that moves that way. And what it's saying is that I can work to become godly enough for God to accept me. That's a work salvation. I can work my way into acceptance of God. That is a false religion. Genesis first few chapters, Adam sins. What does he do? What did he and Eve do? They start to tack on some leaves to cover up their sin. I'm good enough. And God comes on the scene and he goes, you're naked and I'm going to provide a covering for you. And he kills an animal and he, they're now covered with the skin of an animal. You see, the leaves don't cut it. That's false religion. There has to be a righteousness that's outside of ourself that comes to us. That's Christianity. The world says, better yourself. Keep moving. You know, you're going to attain this and that. And, 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 and the gospel says the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the destitute of spirit. The ones who realize I've, I've got nothing inside. I'm bankrupt before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor means destitute. You've got nothing for theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the basilica. There is, theirs is the dominion and power and rank and authority. The exact opposite of being poor. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom. The way up is down, <laughs> but there's a big difference between the false religions of the world and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world has a work salvation to attain some kind of status or spirituality, whatever it is. But true Christianity is the opposite. Christ did the work. He came to bring us a salvation of grace that we could never attain the gift of salvation, not of works, but grace through like grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In that faith, when we were born again by grace, when we, when God approached us in the middle of our poverty, because that's a work of the Holy spirit, 
The spirit of this age says, don't feel bad about yourself. Don't feel guilty. Push away that stuff and all that stuff. And, and what God does is he brings us to the place of being broken. That's a good thing. Let God do that work in your heart. Be broken before him because blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom And what God does when someone is broken, when they realize his holiness and our unholiness. I know that's an, that's the opposite of what we want to feel. What happens when we come to that place? When God brings us to that place is he gives us grace. He lifts us up. When we say we've got nothing in Christ, you are everything. He fills us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst in righteousness for they shall be filled. And God brings us from death to life and he gives us himself. We're born again. We're born of his spirit. He gives us what we don't have. And guess what happens? As you are changed in that moment, when you're saved, when God brings you to that point of salvation through trust in Christ, through faith in Christ and his work, not yours, guess what happens? There's a tree that's planted or there's a fruit, that's a seed that takes root in your heart. And what, guess what starts to grow out of that new life, whose life, his life in you. And what do you think the fruit looks like? Looks like him godliness. That's the evidence that we're born again. It's not a superficial outside religiosity. It's something that wells up from the inside and the out. And us as Christians, anybody who's been walking from the Lord with the Lord for a little while, we try to manufacture fruit, don't we? It doesn't really work that great. No, it, we have to go back to the source of Christ and remember that he's our life. He's the root of our life. He's the vine and we are the branches. And we Christ likeness flows from that, like a seed that took root in our hearts. It begins to grow and there's fruit. The godliness, uh, the godliness that believers have is not to attain a work salvation. It is a work of salvation. Think about the parable of the sower. I know I'm, I'm hitting this over and over, but it's important for us to get the parable of the sower. Jesus speaks of a, a farmer or someone went out and they, they cast seed and it went on four different types of soil. One was on a, a hard path and the birds of the air came in. Another was on hard ground and it took root just a little bit, but then the sun came up and it died. And then another one got choked out by the weeds. And then the fourth kind, man, I had a harvest. Some a little bit of a harvest, but some of a lot. And those are representative of the four types of hearts that Jesus was just trying to say. He said, listen, three the word goes into people's heart. The gospel spread. It gets choked out and, and taken away by the enemy. And, and, and all these reasons why the, the word doesn't take heart, but guess what? There is a heart that does receive the word and it goes down and it goes deep and it produces the fruit that God desires. The fruit of the spirit, Christ likeness. It's what pleases him, his character in us. So Paul was a servant and an apostle for the sake of the elect for their faith and knowledge, according to the truth, which is in accordance with godliness. And by the way, it's in hope of eternal life. Verse two, Paul wanted his readers to know that the faith and the knowledge of the truth that we hold and the godliness produced, it's in hope of something. It's in hope of eternal life. And by the way, this isn't, I hope my chargers win this morning and that Baltimore beats whoever in so they can get in. That's like a, that is not a hope like your, your seagulls or Seahawks or whoever they are. They're just, there's no hope there. That's why I've got this heavy pulpit. 
trying to direct straight out. No, I'm just kidding. But hope is a misleading word. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a sure hope. That's the thing. And the hope in mind here is glorification. That because God has done this work in us, because we have come and our lives are reflecting Christ like this, we naturally have this built in hope of eternal life. Eternal life that began when we believed that's going to be culminated when we see him face to face. Right now we're carrying around these dumb bodies of sin. And the Lord does give life in our mortal bodies as we choose by faith to put them to death, but we're dragging around sinful bodies. Amen. And what's going to happen is one day is we are going to cast off. These are going to be changed, hopefully in a moment and twinkling of an eye or at the resurrection, whichever one happens, we're going to be changed and we're going to have a body that actually matches our spirit. Amen. Can't wait for that. First Corinthians 15. If you want to read more on that, but this hope is not a, Maybe hope. It is a sure hope. And it's a promise that is coming. And, and I'm going to skip ahead and go fast here because, yeah, I'm only on verse two. That's just, man. So our faith and hope of eternal life. And Paul lets us know in the remainder of verse two about the plan of eternal life. And just check this out. When did the plan of eternal, uh, eternal life start for you? When did it start? When you found out about it? which God who never lies promised before the ages began translation in the Greek before time eternal (coughs) before our current time space continuum before the planets were before whatever it was. God's plan of salvation was in his mind. This should bring up questions about God and yes, you should pursue them. He is pretty awesome. But have you ever wondered when he purposed, eternal life. Well, he promised eternal life and it was before we ever existed before this universe existed. Paul says that God promised eternal life before the ages began again, literally that's before time eternal. And by the way, even crazier, just Ephesians chapter one, let me just read you first few verses starting in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse four, even as he chose us in him, when before the foundations of the world. So God's plan of salvation was before the foundations of the world. I I don't even get this. If you keep reading that we should be holy and blameless before him, the reason why he chose us is that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will. That's just what he wanted. It was his plan all along. Again, this is above my pay grade. And I understand Calvinism, Arminianism. Let's just do Bible for a second. Man, God had a plan and it was to save sinners and to bring them before his throne, before the foundations of the earth. And he calls them the elect. And there's a words like predestined in there. He had a plan. Just wild. And so if the promise was in the mind of God before we came into being, well, how do we find out about it? Verse three, and at the proper time, God manifested it in his word. 
through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. The promise was obviously hidden from us, but God brought it into our knowledge. He manifested it. You know, the idea of manifestation is that I have a water bottle here. You don't know I have a water bottle here, but I told you about it. And now I'm manifesting it. There it is. You see it. (laughs) He made it known to us. Well, how did he make it known through his word? He spoke into creation. Well, how did he speak through the prophets in the old Testament? Uh, good, good verse Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, write this down. It says that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he spoke by the prophets, first of all, right? And the prophets were speaking concerning the Messiah who would come a salvation that would come. And then guess what happened later? The Messiah came the actual manifested word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it goes on there in Hebrews in uh, one verse two, it says, but in these last days, he, he has spoken to us by his son. God was manifested, came and he spoke to the world. And he died and rose again. And he spoke about eternal life and all these types of things. And so the word became flesh, the prophets pointed the Messiah and the Messiah came the son of God. And he fulfilled the plan of the father. And, and so the promise was manifested of eternal life in the word, the prophetic word, the written word and the word made flesh. And Paul says at the end of verse three, and now you know about this promise through the preaching of the word, which I have been entrusted. Paul was a servant and an apostle to proclaim that mystery to us. And here we are today, 2000 years ago, being exposed to God's plan of salvation that all who would repent from their sin and believe would have eternal life. And God gives it freely. That's his point. And Paul was a preacher of that everlasting life. And it says there at the end of verse three on verse three, by the command of God, our savior. And by the way, it says God is our savior. I thought Jesus was our savior. Well, just read verse four. (laughs) He's our savior too. Pretty cool. So got to close this up. Think about this real quickly. That God commanded Paul. I I would encourage you to read a few things. Read Acts chapter eight, Paul's conversion. He got knocked off his horse, his donkey or whatever. He fell on the ground. God said, go. Later on, you read a little bit more when he's imprisoned before some people and acts probably 26 Paul's in prison before Agrippa, and, and he tells him the story. He says, Hey, at midday, O King, I saw on the way that is to Damascus, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you Lord? And he said, And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and as a witness to the things which you have seen, uh, which you've seen me and to those things, which will appear to uh, will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Get up. I'm sending you. You're chosen. It's by the command of God. You're a servant. 
And Paul, and, and he goes on, Paul goes on and says, listen, verse 19, therefore Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then Jerusalem throughout all the religion re, uh, region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's the gospel. Paul was a faithful preacher. I got to stop, but the verse four, which will, which is, we'll turn into next week and we'll actually kind of hit the rest of the chapter it's in, in pretty fast order there. It says verse four it says to Titus after saying all that stuff to Titus, my true child and the common faith, grace and peace from who? From God, our father and Christ Jesus, our savior, man, we have an amazing salvation a salvation that was hidden from time, eternity past. And it was revealed in actual time and manifested through the son of God who proved it in the things he did. And that gospel is here for you today. Anyone who has not received the Lord Jesus, he just, the conviction of the Holy spirit, man, he brings you to the place of poverty, the conviction of sin, knowing that there's judgment to come. But he does that. He brings you to that conviction so that you'll run to the cross and realize that the penalty was paid by his son. And not only did he pay for the penalty of our sin, but then he gives us his righteousness. He adopts us into the kingdom, makes us a son, makes us a daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. And we take on his life. How wonderful is that? And then what he does is he takes amazing, wonderful sinners like me, and you saved by the grace of God and you're the plan. Now you go spread the good news. Me, I'm not worthy. That's right. <laughs> We're not worthy. And that's the message. <laughs> We're not worthy. He came and loved us and died for us anyways. So Paul in his messages, everybody, he says, man, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners but somehow God picked me up and I'm his servant and he sent me and here's the message. And he was faithful to it. So may we just kind of take in as we read this and realize that, and this is special stuff. We're not just reading a history book. We're reading God's word manifested in time and space for his church. And may your faith be increased and may your knowledge of the Lord be increased. I'm praying you wouldn't walk out knowing less about God, but may that knowledge actually be manifested in love. Amen. Father, thank you so much. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for the brothers and sisters who are here this morning and home. Lord, it's been a cold couple days and um, it's just been amazing to see uh, just how your warmth is just constant. You are always there for us. You are always available in every circumstance. I love those verses that talk about that while we were yet sinners, you died for us and that you have a plan to show us grace in the age to come. And I just pray we would enjoy you. I pray our minds would be changed. Our hearts would be changed. And our lives would be changed this week. We would allow the Holy spirit to do his work in us. So all glory to you, father. May we, like Paul, be those who are servants and those who are sent. 
And so uh, open our eyes to the mission field now. In the name of Jesus, amen.